Chapter Three of the Beautiful Lady by Booth Tarkington. Read for LibriVox.org by Rita Boutros. Early the whole of the next day, endeavoring to look preoccupied, I haunted the lobbies and vicinity of the most expensive hotels, unable to do any other thing, but ashamed of myself that I had not returned to my former task of seeking employment. Although still reassured by possession of two louis and some silver, I dined well at a one-franc coachman's restaurant, where my elegance created not the slightest surprise, and I felt that I might live in this way indefinitely. However, dreams often conclude abruptly, and two louis always do, as I found several days later, when, after paying the rent for my unspeakable lodging, and lending twenty francs to a poor bad painter, whom I knew and whose wife was ill, I found myself with the choice of obtaining funds on my finery or not eating, either of which I was very loath to do. It is not essential for me to tell any person that when you seek a position it is better that you appear not too greatly in need of it, and my former garments had prejudiced many against me, I fear, because they had been patched by a friendly concierge. Pantaloons suffer as terribly as do antiques from two obvious restorations, and while I was only grateful to the good woman's needle, except upon one occasion when she forgot to remove it, my costume had reached at last great sympathies for the shade of Praxiteles, feeling the same melancholy over original intentions so far misrepresented by renewals. Therefore I determined to preserve my fineries to the uttermost, and it was fortunate that I did so, because after dining for three nights upon nothing but looking out of my window, the fourth morning brought me a letter from my English friend. I had written to him, asking if he knew of any people who wished to pay a salary to a young man who knew how to do nothing. I place his reply in direct annexation. Henrietta Street, Cavendish Square, May 14. My dear Ansolini, why haven't you made some of your relatives do something? I understand that they do not like you neither do my own, but after our crupper at Monte Carlo what could mine do except provide? If a few pounds, precious few I fear, be of any service to you, let me know. In the meantime, if you are serious about a position, I may, preposterously enough, set you in the way of it. There is an old thundering Yankee here whom I met in the States, and who believed me a god because I am the nephew of my awful uncle." for whose career he has ever had, it appears, a lifelong admiration, sir. Now, by chance, meeting this person in the street, it developed that he had need of a man, precisely such a one as you are not, a sober, tutorish, middle-aged, dissenting parson, to trot about the continent tied to a dancing bear. It is the old gentleman's cub, who is a species of Caliban in fine linen, and who has taken a few too many liberties in the land of the free. In fact, I believe he is much a youth of my own kind, with similar admiration for Baccarat and good sellers. His father must return at once, and has decided, the cub's native heath and friends being too wild, to leave him in charge of a proper guide, 
philosopher courier chaplain and friend if such can be found the same required to travel with the cub and keep him out of mischief i thought of your letter directly and i have given you the most tremendous recommendation part of it quite true i suspect though i am not a judge of learning i explained however that you are a master of languages of elegant though subdued deportment and i extolled at length your saintly habits altogether i fear there may have been too much of the virtuoso in my interpretation of you few would have recognized from it the gentleman who closed a table at monte carlo and afterwards was closed himself in the handsome and spectacular fashion i remember with both delight and regret briefly i lied like a master he almost had me in the matter of your age it was important that you should be middle-aged i swore that you were at least thirty-eight but owing to exemplary habits looked very much younger the cub himself is twenty-four hence if you are really serious and determined not to appeal to your people call at once upon mr lampert r poor of the hotel diena he is the father and the cub is with him the elder yankee is primed with my praises of you and must engage someone at once as he sails in a day or two go with my blessing an air of piety and as much age as you can assume when the father has departed throw the cub into the seine but preserve his pocket-book and we shall have another go at those infernal tables valet j g s i found myself smiling i fear miserably over this kind letter especially at the wonder of my friend that i had not appealed to my relatives the only ones who would have liked to help me if they had known i needed something were my two little nieces who were in my own care because my father being but a poet had no family and my mother had lost hers even her eldest son by marrying my father after that they could have nothing to do with her nor were they asked that rascally old antonio was now the head of all the caravacioli as was i of my own outcast branch of our house that is of my two little nieces and myself it was partly of these poor infants i had thought when i took what was left of my small inheritance to monte carlo hoping since i seemed to be incapable of increasing it in any other way that number seventeen and black would hand me over a fortune as a waiter does wine alas luck is not always a fool's servant and the kind of fortune she handed me was of that species the waiter brings you in the other bottle of champagne the gold of a bubbling brain lasting an hour after this there was always something evil to one's head and mine alas was shaved half an hour after i had read the letter the little paper flower-makers in the attic window across from mine may have seen me shaving it without pleasure again what else was i to do i could not well expect to be given the guardianship of an erring young man if i presented myself to his parent as a gentleman who had been sitting at the cafe de la paix with his head painted i could not wear my hat through the interview i could not exhibit the thick five days stubble to appear in contrast with the heavy fringe that had been spared i could not trim the fringe to the shortness of the stubble i should have looked like pierrot 
I had only then to remain bald, and, if I obtained the post, to shave in secret, a harmless and mournful imposition. It was well for me that I came to this determination. I believe it was the appearance of maturity which my head and dining upon thoughts lent me, as much as my friend's praises, which created my success with the amiable Mr. Lambert R. Poor. I witnessed that my visit to him provided one of the most astonishing interviews of my life. He was an instance of those strange beings of the Western Republic, at whom we are perhaps too prone to pass from one of ourselves to another the secret smile because of some little imperfections of manner. It is a type which has grown more and more familiar to us, yet never less strange the man in costly but severe costume big with a necessary great waistcoat not noticing the loudness of his own voice as ignorant of the thousand tiny things which we observe and feel as he would be careless of them except for his wife if he knew we laugh at him sometimes even to his face and he does not perceive it we are a little afraid that he is too large to see it hence too large for us to comprehend and in spite of our laughter we are always conscious of a force yes of a presence we jeer slyly but we respect fear a little and would trust such was my patron he met me with a kind greeting looked at me very earnestly but smiling as if he understood my good intentions as one understands the friendliness of a capering poodle yet in such a way that i could not feel resentment for i could see that he looked at almost every one in the same fashion my friend had done wonders for me and i made the best account of myself that i could so that within half an hour it was arranged that i should take charge of his son with an honorarium which gave me great rejoicing for my nieces and my accumulated appetite i think i can pick men he said and i think that you are the man i want you're old enough and you've seen enough and you know enough to keep one fool boy in order for six months so frankly he spoke of his son yet not without affection and confidence before i left he sent for the youth himself lambert r poor jr not at all a caliban but a most excellent appearing tall gentleman of astonishingly meek countenance he gave me a sad slow look from his blue eyes at first then with a brightening smile he gently shook my hand murmuring that he was very glad in the prospect of knowing me better after which the parent defined before him with singular elaboration my duties i was to correct all things in his behavior which i considered improper or absurd i was to dictate the line of travel to have a restraining influence upon expenditures in brief to control the young man as a governess does a child to all of his parents instructions poor junior returned a dutiful nod and expressed perfect acquiescence the following day the elder sailed from cherbourg and i took up my quarters with the son chapter three